0: You're listening to the One-on-One Football Podcast, the number one podcast for Aussie rules training, coaching, and development tips.
1: Well, Simo, I'm, uh, I'm bloody excited today about this special guest um, that's joining us for episode three of our podcast. Um, his name's Mick Barlow. Um, had the um, privilege to work alongside him. The Gold Coast Suns didn't play with him. Um, obviously, when I was coaching there in the academy, um, Mick was finished up his last couple of years and got to know the great man and, and now he's a, he's a formidable part of our uh, coaching platform at One on One Football and he's been one of the most popular coaches in Melbourne and we're, uh, it's great to have him on board today. So welcome, Mick.
2: G'day, Rainsy. Harry, good to be on. Um, yes, those last two years at the Gold Coast, played a fair bit of footy with Harry actually in the Nifl. So um, played with him. Got the coaching bug off you at, uh, <laughs> at the academy trainings. Never thought I'd be a coach, and here I am on a what is it Wednesday morning with the whistle on. Just finished <laughs> up our session with the Simon Black Academy, and um, now coaching my own side down here in Melbourne as well. I'm just going to turn my camera around. One of my greatest achievements. I'm out in the smoking area here at um, Harry Trot Oval. There's a girl down here which I'll tilt. She's from Sweden. She came to the academy at the start of the year. Couldn't kick. Couldn't even hold a football essentially. And she's out there now as another student, kicking over 20, 25 meters, um, just through, and that's what probably a worst kick she just did. So, um, big, big to And our uh, yeah, big achievement.
1: Our uh, our great friend in, on one-on-one football, and uh, a friend, of, a great friend of mine, is uh, is Simon Black and Blackie's Academy. We'll give that a plug throughout the episode. Blackie's doing some great stuff, and and so are you, mate. But um. Yeah, we, we wanted to get you on, on today and, and talk to you about a specific topic. That's what we're about, um, a specialty in, in coaching. This one's not a probably a, a subject that you can particularly coach and teach, um, but obviously it's a really good topic to discuss. And that's, uh, that's it's, well, it's two, twofold. It's getting drafted as a mature age player and how you did that and also consistently gaining a high possession count. So we'll delve into that. Harry, um, obviously learn a bit off Mick um, in your time up at the Suns in the Neful. What were some of the things you sort of got to got to learn off the great man while you were
0: playing up there? Yeah, no, I think he's um, he's a really good example of um, not only an ultra professional but um, but also a leader as well. I remember um, running around the wing and and Mick was having forty touches a game, um, but despite the um, despite his own success, he was always willing to um, I guess teach and and, and help uh, the younger players. Obviously, I was coming through the academy, and I remember. You know during a stoppage or um before the game whenever it was was always willing to um to to hand out advice and um really wanted to see the, the the people around him succeed not only um not only himself so um yeah sort of i think there's going to be lots of gold that the uh, the listeners can take from mick and um he's had a really interesting career um probably taking a different path than most uh been super successful and um i think what he's doing now with his coaching is um is really exciting and um yeah i think uh we're in for a good one today fellas looking forward to it now mick um obviously you touched on
1: on the one-on-one stuff you're doing with us um on the platform and also blackies academy but just give the listeners an, a quick overview of your life in football so whether you delve in mm. a bit from your past um and where'd your love for the game sort of um you know sort of lead to where you are today
2: yeah certainly, mate. It, um it started from a young age and like most kids from the country um or regional victoria i grew up in shepherd and it's it's sport and it's school and it's family and that's um the three things you you focus on i was really well balanced in my life growing up and had tremendous parents as role models to make sure that i was doing my schooling access to any sport i wanted to play um regardless of of time commitment to them their selflessness was just amazing and um and then you know, investment in family and friends as well. Growing up in the country just makes you who you are. And most most of the time, all three of those, or all the family, friends, um, and school, for me was revolving around sport. So on a weekend, you'd you'd go knock around in the park with your mates and kick a footy or play cricket. And at school, it was I went to Assumption College down the track, and that's um, a big footballing school and 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 cricket school. And you go there, and yes, you you apply yourself to your study, but the, the most exciting as- aspect of it is playing footy on the Friday afternoon or, or playing cricket on the Saturday. So um, I've just had a passion and love for for all sports, um, right from as, as long as I can remember. And again, um, parents were, were great influences in terms of healthy lifestyles and, and giving me access to any sport I wanted to play. So that was it. I was never much good. I was a better cricketer than I was footballer <laughs> growing up. Um, and I wasn't much of a cricketer. And yeah, I think eventually through hard work and dedication and um, getting to as many contests as I could on a footy field and uh, picking up a lot of possessions, I, I got my opportunity.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, And obviously, you came through the VFL, um, you were second in the Liston Trophy one year um, and you won the, the VFL Best Young Player Award as well. Um, what did you do while in your in your time in the VFL um, to sort of set you apart from the rest mm. um, that obviously led into your into your AFL career? Was there any extra skills training, any extra speed training, um, any coaches that helped you sort of, um, I guess, add layers to your to your football game?
2: Yeah, contrary to popular belief, um, there was a lot of speed training. It just didn't translate
0: into <laughs> to when I actually
1: played. Might have been, um, yeah, my the way. effort uh, was there, Mick. The, the effort was there. That's the what that's all we care there. about. The,
2: the effort was there, and. Um, yeah, I don't think I've picked up a yard since since retiring either. So it's a, it's a really sight uh, for sore eyes when you're watching me run around. No, join, join the but, club, no,
1: mate. Join the club. <laughs>
2: yeah, um, no, no, fellas, I'm serious. note, I suppose my my opportunity or my um, avenue into to the AFL was probably born out of um, my second year at country footy. I played in the GV when I was 19 um, and got a lot of the ball and kind of really developed as a player. And then I was invited down to St Kilda to train and when I got invited down, I was like, gee whiz, this is a bit daunting, a bit scary, and it's probably going to be borderline embarrassing. But what I picked up there, that was, I think just the, um, just the concept of what being a professional athlete looked like in that six or eight weeks that I was there training. From there, it was a passion and a thirst to get drafted. It took another two years. Um, and what I found is that, that I needed an edge and my edge, um, was just to do whether it be five, ten, twenty percent a week more than what others were doing, and I translated that from my first year at Werribee in two thousand and eight. I'd do the training, I'd do the weights program they they supplied, but I'd also pick up a swim a week. I had a really good role uh, role model playing at Werribee called Dom Gleason who um, was captain at Werribee and just a, just an outstanding person. He used to take me swimming and we'd go for a K a week um, in the pool, and that, that that's not something. Um, specifically around was kicking the ball handballing the ball marking the ball but what i found transitioning from country footy to vfl i was doing a lot more of that anyway um and i was accessing really high level training simon atkins is, is one that you asked who was it who was a real role model in that period it was simon atkins um who was fairly hard on me at, at times um but also just drove me uh, to within an inch life to get to get an opportunity to get drafted. sometimes and i look back and And i'm really humbled by it somewhat embarrassed at times as well that i think there were sometimes elements of his coaching that um we would sacrifice elements of the team's opportunity for me to to really succeed in different positions so he played me in all the different positions made me take the kick-ins and again if anyone's watched any of my 141 games probably not the first choice to take the kick-ins um but he gave me a crack (laughs) um and, and that was that was yeah, incredibly humbling and um, looking back on it, on reflection, without people like Simon Atkins in my corner, I wouldn't have had the, had the career um, I did.
1: Well, we always, we talk about that, that a lot and we've, we've discussed that in the first few, couple of episodes on this podcast about having that support network and, and the mentors and things like that. So it sounds like you had some great advice mm-hmm. along the way um, and some great people that helped you. But obviously, you got yourself there in the end. I'll talk about that a fair bit in coaching. It's up to you as the individual in the end. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, Leading a horse to water, um, you know, but you've actually got to do the work in the end. And so, you know, what was your mindset? You talk about having that edge and things like that, but missing multiple drafts, I assume didn't play a lot of if didn't play a lot of TAC or, or NAB League mm. footy as it, it's called now, uh, and missed out on potentially a fair few drafts. And you got your chance to play 140 odd games in the end via the VFL. Was what was your individual sort of mindset? You spoke about mm. the support networks, but you know, how would you go? Was it frustration, disappointment along the way? Or oh, you know, yeah, explain to yeah. our listeners a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, certainly a lot of disappointment. Um, and from there comes the frustration, doesn't it, that I would have loved to have got drafted when I trained at St Kilda for six or eight weeks. But am I confident I would have made a career out of it? I think the two years in between when I I really um, dug the – sunk the teeth into the VFL career and what that looked like and actually playing against – Legitimate BFL footballers and borderline AFL footballers on a weekend. Um, mm. That that validated that I could do it to myself, and, and can, performing for two years really strongly at that level, I was like, "Yep, I, I can actually do it." Whereas it might have been just a bit of a "gee, we just signed in after country footy," and it, mm. it's yeah, you're coming from a fair way back. So it was um, it was born out of those two years in the lead up to to getting drafted, which it all those parts you talk about frustration, disappointment. You're exactly right. My edge, um, I would like to think, is is that just commitment to commitment to the work and the willingness to do the work. And that it wasn't easy to do because I would have when I made it to an AFL list. You finally get onto an AFL list. You're number forty-five and forty-six on the list. So it's it's like gee, here we go again. And I looked around the change rooms, and you look around and see whose spot you're going to take when you walk in. When you're 21 years old and you're looking at players, you know, Dave Mundy, um, a young Matt Fyfe's walking in, you're competing for a spot with him. Uh, Anthony Morabito was a top draft pick. I was never as skilled or had the X factor or or these type of things that these players did. So again, it was just that commitment to the extra work, picking little elements of my craft I could improve. Again, going from VFL to AFL and training full time, you you became better. you became a more more efficient kick. Uh, you were cleaner over the ball because of the hours you put in. I just maintained that that attitude from my end that I've got to do five to ten percent more, whether it is jumping in the ocean every morning mentally, or whether it is swimming a kilometer on your day off when you, you don't feel like it because you look across the, the locker room and someone's getting a massage. Um, but that was that was my point of difference. I, I would I'm very proud of. I think in terms of. Of getting to the, getting the level out of myself i did because it was largely mental um and if eventually you, you, you for a player like me you, your deficiencies are going to catch up with you um and the younger players are going to come in and, and be those players that probably look at you in the locker room and say um he's the one i'm, I'm, I'm gunning for and, and they got me in the end fellas but they uh they took their time getting me
0: <laughs> absolutely um so obviously coming uh joining or as a mature age player you would have had a fair few draftees coming in that same year that would have been what two three years younger than yourself did you did you find that um coming into the afl system mature age obviously it helped um from the that you've already played a, a high level with um with with, with senior footballers but from a social point of view, did you find it easier to slot into the list, um, into, 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 in, into I guess the, the locker room with the with the other older players than some of the draftees?
2: Yeah, yeah, and no, that's a great question. I, I was the names I got drafted with. It was um, a great group. Like Morabito played 22 games that first year. Nat Fife is has become a two time Brownlow medalist. Um, Alex Silvani was another mature ageer from the VFL. So we had a really, real connection coming from Victoria. Um, to cut our teeth at AFL level. And he played, you know, he was a regular player from day dot like myself with that group. And again, it's, it's that sliding doors type of type of moment where you, where you count your lucky stars. And yes, I had disappointments and, and setbacks along the way, but going to Fremantle, um, they'd, they'd been on lists that had been rejuvenating, I think, for two years or three years. and That was essentially the last year of their uh, revamp. So I think there've been thirty-six new players come in over three years, um, and we went from thirty-six new players that year to the finals. And when that happens in the AFL landscape, you're going to get opportunity as a, as a younger player or a player fresh on the list. Mm-hmm. And um, then it's just about the mindset that we talked about having that mindset that it's not going to be given to you. There's opportunity there, um, and you have just got to go grab it. So that was that was that was a a, a brilliant start to my career in terms of the club. And the and the and the environment in in Fremantle it's the best place in the world Perth and Fremantle Perth city not so much but Fremantle um, you know I fell in love with the place had seven years there and still have a, an amazing affinity with the joint It would never rule out going back there because of those relationships you make um, and the 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 environment you surround yourself with and I suppose back to your back to your question the core group was 21 23 years of age when I got there and that that was how old I was and. Um, you know, those older players just provide a platform and an environment for everyone to feel comfortable and that was Santa Lance, Pavlich, um, Dave Mundy, Luke McFarlane.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And I think, you know, the draft was last week or, you know, and, and you see a lot of young guys sort of getting picked up and they come straight through the talent pathways and and you see them going to an AFL list at 18. And then and occasionally, you know, you get the stories that they do struggle just with that transition, you know, being the – the big dog in under-18s football or whatever, you know, junior football, mm. and then struggled to tr- sort of transition. So clearly that I think it's a really good message for those guys that do miss out. And in contrary to you, do, you do see those mature age players. I think I saw a couple of players from South Adelaide get picked up at being sort of, you know, cutting their teeth into their apprenticeship down there and they do get their opportunity. So clearly it did help um, and you burst onto the scene in Freo in your first year, 2010. Um, you know, 33 possessions and two goals. I think champion data have got it, if I've got my stats right, have got it as the best debut uh, in terms of disposals numbers, and yeah. not not and aesthetically, points, it wasn't, numbers.
2: aesthetically, it wasn't. Yeah, you know, super. Well, you know what, <laughs> mate?
1: You've got to take these. You've got to take those little wins. And uh, you played 13 games in your first year, AFLPA best first year player and averaging at 27.8 possessions. I've done my research. But you also broke your legs severely and missed mm. the last eight games of the season. With these highs and lows in one season, I mean, that must have been a huge roller coaster year for you. Yeah. How do you reflect on that all?
2: Yeah, it was. And I just had one more point to make on our our last discussion. And and you you would relate to this really strongly and you wouldn't take it uh, to heart at all, but you were a player coming through, weren't you, that was always um, linked to Richmond through the father-son and the opportunity Mm. was going to come. There's so many examples like that. And this year with the coronavirus, there would have been players this year that didn't play football that were – Monty essentially to get drafted at the start of the year, um, mm. and that that can burn players out, because they can get to eighteen years old and they they feel like their hopes and dreams are done, um, and they're eighteen years old. You know, when I was eighteen years mm. old, I didn't know my left from my right. And, um, mm. You know, just it, it, your life was nowhere near getting started. So there's so many examples out there. Your career, you know, you have and, and rightfully so very proud of your career. Three clubs, um, and made a niche. Found your found your niche, and and fulfilled. Fulfilled the responsibility in that space. So, for those those guys that might be listening at 18 years of age or 19 that missed out, go play in the highest level of footy you can, give yourself the best opportunity and aim to dominate it. Validate that you can do it and then launch pad yourself into what's next. What will be, will be. If it comes off, it comes off. If not, at least you've um, dared to dream, I suppose, is, is my well, I think, example I, on that. Yeah, I, and
1: I totally agree with that and probably sort of sticking to on that question and we'll get back to the, the beautiful mm. stats that I pulled out before. <laughs> but in that, that notion of – and someone said it the other day, people – and, and kids have really got to listen to this one. Are you playing to get drafted or are you playing because you love football? Mm. Or, you know, we, we essentially – I've seen, and I've seen a lot through the pathway stuff. They miss the draft, and then they go back and might have a year or two at um, you know local or state league football, and then they give up because they mm-hmm. didn't get drafted. They're playing to get drafted. Where it sounds like you obviously clearly want to get drafted, but you played, you know, went back and played country football, and you went back through the, the hard ways. And because you obviously you had a, a clear sting mm-hmm. in your system or inside of you that you still love, love the game, so it's a, it is an important sort of point though.
2: Yeah, and I've got a great quote my girlfriend gave to me uh, only last week, comparison is the thief of joy. So Mm. never compare yourself. And it's really hard for those guys that are in the hit zone of getting drafted in that that period. And Harry has lived this as well, seeing some of Mm. his his academy um, protégés, Butterick, go through and and get drafted um, and Harry misses out on an opportunity. But it's... You've got to be happy doing what you're doing. Oh, I'm as I'm as fulfilled now, and this is probably more more a mindfulness or or purpose kind of um, mm. purpose podcast uh, content. Is I'm more fulfilled now than I was, especially the last half of my career. Just because I think when you when you're in the in the cut and thrust of an AFL career, you're comparing yourself to mm. oh, why, why haven't I got that house? Why am not I getting in game every week? Oh, why am yeah. I always getting sore? Whereas now it's. Mm. Um, the, the weight comes off and you just my investment is in others getting better it's in my own, own career in terms of the coaching media um all the other stuff i'm liking to do um and i've learned now not to compare myself or uh, you know earning the earning capacity goes down but the enjoyment and the fulfillment somewhat goes up and i wish i had found a better balance in the last half of my afl career just to to be happy with where i was at um which mm-hmm. harry harry spoke about earlier at times when i was playing nifle I got tremendous joy and uh, and fulfilment out of playing with with kids that um, were wet behind the ears. Um, mm. pissed, pissed me off a little bit at, at times, rangy they did, but, um, <laughs> but 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 for the most parts, so they were they were great to work with.
0: I think you you touched on a really good point there, Mick. We actually talked about it a little bit um, on the on the last podcast, but um, obviously footies is is important, and, and you know if you're trying to get drafted, that's obviously a forefront of mine, but just acknowledging that whether you get drafted, whether you don't get drafted, how long your career goes for, you, you'll still be happy. You'll still find something. And I think um, you brought up my career and I think something I wish I could have said to myself to take the pressure off, as you mentioned, was don't worry if you get drafted. You'll still be happy. You'll still find that fulfillment. I think um, if I'd learned that or if or if anyone coming through um, sort of their under-18s can sort of accept that, then it comes back to, oh, now I'm playing footy because... Um, I enjoy it, not because I'm comparing or um, or because I want to get drafted necessarily. I think um, finding yeah. finding ways to take the pressure off and, and sort of having confidence that what happens, happens. And, and if you're putting your head down, doing a little bit extra than everyone else is, um, then you're giving yourself the the best shot. Is that sort of something that, that you found along the way?
2: No, absolutely. Some of the best examples of transitions out of AFL that I've seen and people that I'm close with are the ones that scrapped and clawed on, on one-year deals at, a bloke that's still in the system, Matt DeBoer, um, who's had a great career, he's 200 games. Um, but but what I really admire him for is he, he's had a commitment to his off-field and his work-life balance the whole way through. Um, he actually postponed his draft year so he could do his first year of uni. Um, and it was no no lay down was there to get drafted. So I think that's, that's a re- really good case study for someone to sit back and think, what's actually really important in my life I love football and I want to be an AFL football, but will it, will it compromise actually what I want to prolong once I'm 30 years old and, and finish? And Matt self, self, um, with great self-awareness says he, he didn't believe he was going to last much longer than 21, 22. But due to that attitude and that um, incredible focus on on both on and off the field, he's managed to be an incredible leader across two football clubs in 200 games and, and chalk out, I think his first two-year contract came like, essentially last year when he was, when he was 29. Yeah. Um, so that's a great mm-hmm. example, Harry, for, for someone that, yes, he, well, he's had a great AFL career, but his transition, but like he'll be in the top 1% of AFL players coming out of the game and, um, and, and make a really good cut and thrust of it in the, in the business world. Just, just due to that translatable um, element of, of on field and within an elite environment to, okay, what's next?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really good point. I think it's all about balance, isn't it? And understanding that you're not an athlete; you're actually you're, you're a person first and foremost. And mm-hmm. um, if you can if you can get yourself right um, off the field, it's obviously going to going to help um, with what you can do um, can do on field. Um, so, Mick, we want to dig a little bit into um, into your career. Um, We're going to go back to so- the stats. Well, guess this is sort of, well, it's a bit of a prelude to the stats. Harry's got the next question um, and
1: it's based on our topic and our niche that we want yes, to obviously yes. dig um, into that.
0: You know, get the message out there for, for a lot of young footballers and coaches. Yeah, 100%. We've got some stats in there, don't worry. Um, so, Mick, we know you obviously had um, an incredible ability to find the footy. Um, You're currently rank, ranked 26th on the all-time average possessions per game for a player, I believe, if our research is correct. Um and some of the players that, that are above you in the top twenty are Tom Mitchell, Scott Pendlebury, Dane Swan, Um Diesel Williams. So obviously uh, quite a good uh, quite a I, good crowd to be. I guarantee by. you
2: they were never the sub three or four times in their career or subbed out. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I could uh, include that in the statistics, maybe with a little yeah. asterisk. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. Um. And obviously, that that ability to find the ball um, and do it consistently as well is something we don't see um, we don't see often. Um, and when we do, it's it's obviously um, uh, you know it demands a lot of respect. And um, and I'd be interested to find out um, how did you go about um, developing that side of your game was it Was it a mentality before the game, um, or did you do specific work on it on it prior to um, prior to the the games in
2: training? Yeah, I think it was something that always came. Actually, it's a really hard thing to coach is um, yeah I suppose game Iq and ability to follow the ball and there's there's a really fine balance between going to a contest and and getting caught in no man's land as well um, especially at the top level and I, I probably i um, you know admittedly got caught out a lot lot in that at my freo days um, towards the back end of my career there and, you know going to the contest when it might have been better to, to hold your width and, and support defensively so it's a really tricky one to coach in terms of um when to go to the ball and, and when to to you know protect and, and allow some balance on the outside so my, my philosophy was always if i could feel like i could get to a contest and impact it whether that be a front front and square or if it was a two on two and i would think okay i can get there and they can buy some time and if we can win this two and two, I become the outnumbered three on two a lot a lot of it is just summing up i suppose the equations of the game can i influence the contest no well now i've got to hold some balance can, um, can I influence the contest? Yes, so I'm going to go over and support. And then the next step of, of, for me was what makes it easiest for a player um, under pressure, especially in contests. I talk about the 2 and 2 How do I make it easiest for him to get me the ball? Is it look him in the face and get to his chest, his or her chest, or is it um, you know 15 metres on the fly? No, it's not. It's certainly just going over, supporting, being that outnumber, and then you've got the ball. And you can create and and assist um, from there. So a lot of my, I suppose it's Tom Mitchell, you see it um, at nauseam, he's he's an accumulator. And and I was an accumulator. We're not players that are going to get on the fly and have these moments where we pierce someone inside forward 50, maybe once every four or five weeks. But it's getting to the contest, continually um, summing up the game um, as you go um, to give yourself the opportunity to get the football. The other one would be, For mine, again, I had to build this into my psyche uh, due to my perceived lack of leg speed, which was when the ball left contest, yes, you can be quick quick by feet and and quick on foot or you can be quick by mind. So if you can see the ball five metres away from you, but the opposition clearly have it and the bloke's going to kick it, you start going. Do your work early and you can pick up five or ten metres there. And if it is a Cyril Rioli or a, um, a really fleet of foot player that just ball watches just for that little second or two, at least your goal side, and you can give yourself an opportunity to beat them back to the contest. So continually analysing the game, continually staying on the move um, and getting to as many contests within reason um, as you can.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask—is is there any game day tricks uh, or tips or anything like that that you recommend? Sounds like we covered a fair bit of it. and I talk mm. a lot about that in my in my coaching to, especially a lot of kids that are getting that feedback that aren't finding a lot of the footy. You might get some really good athletes or some guys that show a lot of promise, um, especially in the talent space. So they don't necessarily need to get drafted if you know, or they get drafted if they're having thirty possessions. More so, those standout characteristics. Um, I want to ask you, coming through sort of uh, junior footy or whatever, were you a high possession winner? yeah I was, particular, um, always had that knack
2: yeah i think probably when i got to school when i went when i kind of grew up and became i think randy and harry um uh, probably uh embarrassingly i became a high possession getter when they started to take stats so i thought oh, yeah. got, this might be my point of difference <laughs> i'm a bit slow and i can't kick and uh, i'm a bit soft and i'm a bit light but um they started to do pen pen the stats at school at assumption and i only played two or three games i think when, when i was in year 11 in the first 18. And they used to put the stats on the on the board um, on a Monday morning, and I, I did know that that was kind of my my bread and butter, getting the ball. And I thought, if I can kind of turn heads here, and everyone walks up to the sports board on on Monday, and I've had 25 possessions in the in the only game I played a full game, people will look around and think, "Geez, that's just more than our best players are getting." So what? But I didn't notice him. Um, hmm. And I think from there it was just again my modus operandi, I was going to the ball, going to the contest, supporting outnumber um, and getting my possessions that way as the uh, police or the ambulance have just gone past someone's house. Yeah, now, that'd be in the yeah. northern parts of Melbourne, I think.
1: No, back streets of the <laughs> uh, southern part of the Gold Coast, mate. Oh, so perfect. there's a bit going on.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, and, and one one more to pinch off you around that getting the ball. I spoke a lot about earlier in this podcast around that extra 5 to 10% you do during the week. And mine was always swimming or or something cardio based that wasn't pounding yourself on on a running track. But I think that plays a huge benefit. If you can have a capacity mm-hmm. um, to do five, ten percent more, and I spoke to this about the academy kids here today after our training session around if you do a two K time trial and you're just in the pack, you're just in the pack, you're an eight eight minute two K or seven minute thirty two K and you're in the pack, then you're probably like Realistically, if you haven't got much of a point of difference, you'll be in the pack when you go out and play. You'll be a 15 possession player. Mm-hmm. But if you can become a 6 minute 32K, you're going to get to, you're going to become not great at maths, but say that's a 20 25% improvement on on your 7 30 or 8 minute. You should expect to get 25% more of the ball. So you become a 20 mm-hmm. possession player because you're at 25, your capacity is 25 more physically when you're out there. Um, so that, that's that's a little bit, and myself, I was always a 2K time pilot or 3K time pilot, just went hard and just tried to run as fast as I could. Again, the comparison is the thief of joy. Don't run a time to think, oh, I'm running against the clock here. I'm running to, to do these splits. Rainsy did this. Harry was really good as well. I've seen a couple around Metricon Stadium there. Just go out and try and win it. Um, and if they catch you, at least you're giving yourself a chance. So um, yeah, that's, I think that's a little one I wanted to pinch just because it was really relevant to a discussion I had today around if players are sitting there thinking, oh, how do I become a 20 possession player a game, but I'm running an eight-minute 2K up. It's that horse-to-water discussion, isn't it? It's, you mm. got to put in the work. Mm. you got to put in the work and, and become capable of covering the ground and, and going till the end.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think… Um... You'll admit that you, you weren't the fastest player going around, but your work capacity was huge. And um, in a with a with a with a style of game that sort of relied on getting to contest, I think having um, a a really strong base to build on is is really important. And something that's been uh, a bit of a theme so far in in the, in the first three episodes of this podcast is how you spend your fuel tickets. We all know that, um, and you touched on it there that if, if you want to make change, if you want to improve your football, you're going to have to do work that other people aren't. Um, so let's say there's some footballers out there that need to work their work on their endurance, their work mm. capacity. Um, they can't go running a two k every day, especially yeah. with training. We need to make sure that we're not overloading. Um, something that I'm quite passionate about is um, is making sure that whatever you're doing, you're getting the best return, but you're not um, you're not it's not then negatively affecting your football training. Were there any other? You mentioned swimming. Were there any other? Um, let's say low impact. Um, mm-hmm. But sort of uh, really high reward extras that you used to do, or you encourage your footballers to do at the moment. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, great call. And I think the, the one-on-one platform is doing a brilliant job in terms of the niche market. And Harry, you do some great stuff in the biome biomechanics, sports science space. Um, you've brought in the mindfulness element, the 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 dietitian advice, and the camps that are, that are coming up, masterclass type stuff. So a real niche niche market within our one-on-one platform to to, I suppose tap into to athletes that you know might might need that extra ten percent in terms of sports science because they haven't been associated with a NAB, NAB league or a cult side in the Sanford Waffle or academies in Brisbane um, or Queensland. So how do you find that it, it, it's investing in your own career um, from a young age and? Some, oh, someone just kicked it onto the cricket pitch. I hate that when they do that. <laughs> kicked it onto the cricket pitch. Um, so invest in your own career, and the guys that listening out there, and guys and girls that thinking, how can I become that 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 in, increased increased player? Um, it's getting getting advice. Information is power. Um, you know, knowledge knowledge on things mm-hmm. is going to set you apart from others. So mine was always swimming mate. from physics side. I, I just like being in shape to be honest as as much as i could and Mm -hmm. i probably felt and know this is another elevated discussion around that high high performing environment in in the afl skin folds i reckon if i didn't do that extra swim a week i did like to have an ice cream or two you know during the week so my my philosophy was i'm not going to sacrifice the ice cream i'll do a little bit more more work to make sure you know and 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 within reason um to, to to give myself an edge and keep myself in in you know um professional athlete condition so my, mm. my advice is to, to guys and girls that are out there at, at that age just get the information get the knowledge um and then you can make informed decision don't everything that comes at you don't stack it in and take it as gospel take little bits and pieces that you think's apparent mm. uh, us as coaches we're never 100 percent mm. right um you know very very fallible um we'd like to think we're probably 80 percent uh 90 wise and right but we are very fallible as well. So take the information. Some things that resonate with me won't resonate with three or four that are out there at the moment. Um and, and that is fine. And that's the discussion about okay, then have we got another person we can access and, and get some discussion points around nutrition or, or or whatever it might be. So um get as much information as you can and make really good informed decisions. Discuss that information mm. with people you really trust.
1: No, good point. Excellent point. Um and I think I think on that topic of, uh, you know, putting the ingredients in to be able to then go and perform and ho- and, and win that high-possession um, tally or, or in, in each game be consistently a high-possession ball winner. Um, it has its ups and downs, obviously, or, or its challenges. So you're going to win a lot of the footy and then that draws a lot of attention. So one of my topics, which I'm a fair expert in, I would have thought, is, <laughs> is tagging. Um, and actually, Harry, before we did these notes, was asking me, did I ever tag, Michael? And I said, well... Believe it or not, listeners, I've slowed down the last couple of years in my career, but early on I used to play on the, more the outside guys a lot of speed and I used to, ta- I used Stephen to play Hill, Hill, like Stephen used Hill Stephen Hill? used to give me a few nightmares, the way he oh. used to prance and run up and down Subiaco. All, I just used to
2: direction. My elite
1: runner and Tom Scully was one of the other ones I used to really, you know, back myself in with my sort of that speed endurance stuff, but mm. um, they were really tough opponents. So I said, I'm fortunate to get to play, uh, play on Mick and, a credit to Mick, who's a bit stronger, a bit more physical for me inside, and probably would have, uh, but you know, been a bit more of a ball. So, talk about the tagging side. Did you obviously you did get tagged throughout your career? And and, and give some of the guys that are coming through, guys and girls these days, mm-hmm. and coaches that are coaching uh, people that are struggling with the tag. Um, talk about a bit of the, the sort of tagging days and, and sort of how you dealt with that when you were getting yeah. Here with attention.
2: Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't get a huge amount. I think the, the most eye opening situation in my career was my set third and fourth game. I literally reckon I got tagged maybe three, four times in my career. But the first one was Cameron Ling. And the second one was Brett Kirk. So, two of two of the best. You know, two of the best. Brains, you'd have them picked up in your bedroom wall even when you were playing for Richmond <laughs> Brisbane <laughs> and the Gold Coast. When I was playing for those, those, one,
1: two- year, <laughs> for those one, one year deals, mate, oh, I think I did.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, um, the third game was Ling. And as a young player, like my advice to anyone that kind of comes on and get some attention that really early early phase of their career um, would be, don't change what you've done to actually be the player that has acknowledged that tag. Well, like it was an eye-opening moment for me. It was like, there was a bit of talk. You probably get tagged this week, you know, all this, a bit of planning. Um, and my planning wasn't essentially about just deep breath and go out and play you, like you've been playing. Yeah, there's going to be moments where it's probably going to not, not go your way. I tried to become a different player, especially those those weeks. I tried to, try to be that outside player and run to different angles, and mm. and the um you know that they, they're they're super at their craft, so they don't mind that. When a player that is naturally um, good at going to the ball and getting the ball in contest is trying to rely on getting the ball four or five times a quarter on the outside, um, mm. then they would have been licking their lips. So the, the that's what I learned along the way that how to approach a tag would be do what. Tricks don't usually get it done. There might be one in every 10 games where a tag goes out and says, I'm going to do this, this and this, you know, um, and it comes off. So that's that's a little bit of advice, I think, for the tag. But I probably became more um, recognised as a tag in the later parts of my career. I think yeah. last last few games at, at uh, Frio I tagged. And gee whiz, you have some sleepless nights, you don't you? you make you, you earn your money when you walk out there and you, you're lined up against Robbie Gray. I think it was David Zaharakis, Daniel Rich, um, Joel Selwood, when I went to the Gold Coast, tagged him. Um, yeah, you, you start to think, you know, this is... And it's it's also tagging um, mm. so much of a, ment- it's a mental thing, isn't it? It's, okay, mm. got to stay in the contest. They're going to have their moments. They're going to have a moment where they just make you look silly. Daniel Rich kicks one from 60 in the first two minutes of the game and you've got to be able to screw your head on and say, okay, that's happened. There's not much mm-hmm. I could have done about that, but what I can um, influence is the next next contest. So that some of the most fulfilling games and and memorable games for mine was were tagging, um, it's oh, one right, of those yeah. things. It, it's it's you, you're, you're pitched out there and range. You'd be, as you said, a real expert in discussing it. Pitched out there against the best, um, mm-hmm. and they're the, the games you look back on at the end of your career and you're like, it was actually a, a privilege and an honour to do yeah. it
0: yeah absolutely i think um and i guess if, if you're if your role is to tag you're going to be exposed to some of the some of the great players of the game some of the really good um really elite ball winners um when you were you mentioned um you mentioned joel selwood and a few other names there was there anything um i guess something i'm quite interested in is is the difference between winning the ball on the inside and the outside um and when you're getting tagged or when um, when you were tagging someone did you notice that um people could it sort of change tact a little bit and say, well, um, I might not be able to win the footy outside as much if I've, if I've got a tag running around. So I'm going to shift my game to the inside. I don't think many yeah. players have the ability to to, to change like that. Were there anyone, was there anyone that you sort of came across that, that, that really could win the, the footy inside and outside just as good?
2: Yeah, Robbie Gray was, was one. I was uh, That was probably the best ever game I played. So I'll give myself an acknowledgement there. But- <laughs> was, you watch the tape leading into that a game because he was playing in the midfield at the time but kicking four goals a game you know, like he's untagged because he's so good in traffic then he'll get you out yep. and you can't you can't find him he's gone it's like you, you you snooze for a millisecond and you're like where the where's he pissed off to? Mm-hmm. um so it's it's those type of players that, that are the hardest that have the versatility to take you wherever you want on the field my, my again my take on um things in terms of that inside versus outside is find find your craft and become a master at it. Simon Black is is absolutely terrific at coaching this stuff, is that inside stuff, okay, how do I position myself at a stoppage 80% of the time to have a better position than my opponent? Yeah, there's going to be that 10 20% of the time that, you know, circumstances, ball bounces over there, they get to the ball first. But how do you position yourself? And it's, you know, is it body work for bigger players? It's body work pushing and owning, a, and owning a space on the inside, is it reading the flight of the, the boundary zone, it's a, it's a um, short boundary zone, so you flip, flip behind them and push them under so they have no room to work in and then you own the outside. So it's, it's like that discussion we had at the start about getting to as many contests as you can. It's making really quick decisions when the ball's either up at a stoppage or coming in, that you're reading the flight, you can see both Ruckman and Ball. To make really informed decisions, and again, if you if you make yourself really uh, proficient in that, eight out of ten times, you're going to put yourself in a position. You know, the percentage wise, is going to add up. that You're going to be in a position more often than your opponent to get access to that ball. Um, so that's that's a little bit me being a bigger body player would like to engage in in um, in, in body contact with with opponent. When I really did have some trouble with centre-square bounce, especially because it's a bit like a deserted island in there, centre-square bounce, when it was a Rioli, Puopolo, um, and a Sam Mitchell, who's really good with his feet, because you you're first trying to find their body, and it's a little bit of a game of chess. Okay, I want to find his body, but I want him to come to me. So Rioli looks at me, I'm not going anywhere near. I'm going to stand five metres off a circle, so I crib out a bit, he keeps going back. What's that point that you stop and say, I'm just going to have to stay close enough to the contest here, um, and back back the ruckman to keep it in nice and close. So, so many elements of, of stoppage and and midfield craft that is around, and, and these are discussions again. The one on one platform can have where where there can be hours of Zoom Zoom meetings around. Like, okay, let's watch some vision. Let's watch some vision versus Rioli versus Barlow. Yeah. What would Rioli want here? And that, and you asked ask the kids. Or the mm. young young athletes and that they're like Rioli wants to be on the move to to use his agility. What does Barlow want? If Barlow gets in and wrestle with Rioli, thanks for coming. That's the only time I'll ever beat him. Push him off, come to the ball, handball it out to yeah. our outside runners. So uh, yeah. uh, there, there's there's an hour of discussion in that that discussion around stoppages and, and craft and techniques to get get you access to the ball um in itself.
1: No, it's gold and there's you know, there's a lot of I love that point about you know knowing your strengths, and, and I talk about it a lot in my coaching, and, and as a player to him, just giving me memories of, of center bounce, um, stoppages, or you know sort of um, you know boundary throw-ins or whatever in in, uh, in forward fifty or your d- defensive fifty, and, and trying to navigate yourself around that, and, and obviously the purpose you know trying to stop someone, or is it actually trying to win the football, which we've covered a lot on on you today, how how, um, how you were able to to win a lot of that possession. Um, now, you'd mentioned before about the junior footy days and count having the stats up, and that's what really brought the passion out about your um, leather poisoning at times. Um, mm-hmm. Did you ever lose count? Um, <laughs> and, you know, did you or, were you or were you sort of obviously when your free days obviously out on your app or your phone after the game, were you <laughs> first to check it? Or were there uh, a few and- stories around the locker rooms? Because I've got a few stories around Tom Rockliffe doing that at Brisbane. Yeah, oh, Tom his is- phone is- off the ground.
2: He's called the pig, isn't he? He, he would walk off with yeah. eighty eighty 80-point loss, but... If he's had 45 he's he always had that look he always had that look on, on his face after a game and you'd always see the possessions on the on board It'd be like tom rockley 45 but you beat him by 10 goals and he'd be walking around with that like um hip wobble and just looking up at the screen and he's like you know looking really just dis- disgruntled and, and disheveled but i know in his head he's like well i did my role i like 45 um so, so he was he was he's a very very big game um, big victim for for that exact uh, point and I I would be lying if on the odd occasion, I didn't think I'd had an okay game and didn't go Mm -hmm. in and check. More so, I suppose if you had a good game at AFL level, you'd be able to see it. Nifel and Harry I think you you played the game uh, the infamous game at uh, the SCG Sydney Swans versus Gold Coast Reserves. I think about six players on the ground on that day had 40 plus um, and I managed to uh, raise the bat over to the members' pavilion and had the fifty, um, and we actually beat the Swans. And we, we weren't going overly well at that stage, uh, both Niffland and seniors at the Gold Coast. But we both had a win on the day. It was a good day for the club. Um, and yeah, you know, I I'd packed up my half century and got back on the, on the bird to to Gold Coast Airport.
0: Was uh, we've we've thrown plenty of stats at you today. Was uh, was that your highest possession game?
2: Uh, I thought... I, th- I would imagine. I would imagine I might have had more, you know, like in a jet Golden Valley footy game. Um, yeah. But, yeah, that's – AFL I had 43 once and uh, that was that was my game. I tagged Robbie Gray and I'll, I'll go to my grave just to, with a big smile on the face with that one. The second last game I have ever played for Freo. Um, yeah, so I think, yeah, that that's going to be hard to top. A guy, Jordan Dawson, who's now a very, very good player for Sydney, had 24 tackles or something that day. So the forwards and the backs, Harry would have come off with about five because the forwards and the backs were just, it was just a midfield slog fest and everyone was just handballing to each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a great day, that one. Awesome day for the club. That's <laughs> one I've been involved in for sure. Yeah.
1: So, so, with that, mate, it's obviously, you know, we have a bit of a laugh and about being able to find, find the ball. And as we sort of, I suppose, summarise um, the topic around winning the football and gaining consistently high numbers and possessions. Um, you've thrown a lot of things up today, which is absolutely gold um, around sort of, as you said, I I love that theory before about facing their chest and and getting to the contest, um, outworking, is it a 2v1, is it a 3v4, reacting mentally before um, over over physical aspects that people have got over you. If you want to sort of summarise for our our, our our listeners today around, um, you know, two or three important things to teach that aspect of the game. As we said, it's hard to teach, but if there's two or three things...
2: Yeah, I think if they're if they're at home jotting down some notes and and looking at their own game, identify what you do really well. What's your weapon? What, what's what's your um, a you know your one wood or your or your your A grade um, trait? Mine would have been stoppage cleanliness, clean hands, um, and distributing to outside users. So that's one I sit down and say I've got to maintain that at a really really good level to be. The player I am, so Matt has got one at Brownlow doing it. Um, you know, Sam Mitchell was another in entire He had, had a lot of other tricks, but clean feed, Nat Five does it at stoppage. So understand what is your one to two points of difference, and uh, it might be you know a left foot kick that just is a brilliant kick. Don't just take advantage of that. And think I'm a great kick. I don't need to train it. You you do need to top up your training with with your your real traits that are. That are in the positive um again find your edge um whether it be mental physical um, or skill acquisition against the field so my, mine was I, w- I would assume i would describe it as, as a mental but it was at the same time physical the physical output of getting a one kilometer swimming wasn't huge for me mm. um yeah it might have been 0.2 of a percent but what it was mentally i, I knew i'd done that and i always felt for whatever reason, if I hadn't done it that week, shoulder injury or whatever it was, I would feel um, mentally just that slight bit off and a little bit anxious about what was coming coming ahead. And the last one would be just you know information and knowledge. The more you can get and be really critical with it in, in your own summation, um, it, it is going to benefit you amazingly. Ask questions of your coaches, challenge them at times um, when you see you know something something in a different different capacity, I would, I would also advise, challenge them um, in individual opportunities. You know, if it's a group meeting and you see something that you're not 100% sure on, but you, you might have a varying opinion, come up to them afterwards and and, and, and thrash it out. And I'd 99.9% of the coaches you, you deal with are always very um, uh, receptive to that type of mm. feedback. So, yeah, probably that, um, guys, it's, you know, finding your one wood, do it well, again, Find an edge. What's your edge? Um, is it swimming? Is it mindfulness? And then the third one is if you're really passionate about it, absorb information, get to understand it a lot better.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. I think that's, um, there's some awesome little takeaways for, for everyone listening. Um, Mick, just to wrap us up, um, you've been a part of the one-on-one coaching platform uh, for around two years now, and you're one of the most popular coaches across Melbourne. Um, what can footballers that, that book a session with you expect, um, and 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 why do you recommend one on one football as a um, as, as a resource for for footballers taking control of their own careers?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So in the sixty minute session, you're going to get an amazing amount of touch and and access. Sixty minutes is just absolute gold in a one on one environment. I suppose from my point of view, I, I didn't mention much about kicking or um, I suppose the skill side of things in my own game, but what I've become you know, really Really good, I feel that um, transitioning out of the game is teaching that and coaching that. And I've got to give a big shout out to Mark Williams, who coached me at Werribee and he's part of the one on one platform. He coaches kicking to within within an inch of its life. And me actually being underneath him as an assistant coach and a player. Now I'm in a position to coach kicking, Um, whereas I probably came out of the AFL and was a bit bit hesitant to, to give advice on how to kick. I became a better kick when I left the AFL system. Due to being, due to touching the ball more and kicking the football more which is quite remarkable seeing I had an AFL career um, so that's an element of regret in my career that why didn't I go and kick the ball yeah you know, every day a hundred times why did why didn't I just continuity of kicking um, so what I what I really focus on in my, in my sessions is is the basics the kicking the the handball the ground ball and the marking um, again we we can have discussions around thought processes, and, and the more sessions we do, you can have sit downs and discussions around. Okay, what do you think here? What, what's what's on your mind here? What should your next thought process be? But I think I think a brilliant aspect of the, the one-on-one platform is we do stuff that AFL players don't invest um, enough time in themselves, and that's that's the pure skills of, of the game and and doing the skill.
1: No, it's a, it's amazing, man. It's obviously. A, Privilege to have you on board, and and I know some of the um you know the families and and footballers down there in Melbourne have, you know absolutely loved your sessions, and and again once you build that relationship with someone you've got the trust and there's that skill component, but then also the mental side too that you know we've tapped into an hour nearly you know an hour of this podcast or fifty minutes, and and you, you can tap into this information where you can actually do that in a one on one environment, and I think uh, you know the likes of Chocos and 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 these type of uh, coaches will look to get on board, and the podcast have got these. Elements of gold, and, and you've helped the viewers um, or the, the listeners today, um, understand a couple of those little gold moments in football, and what are those key topics and and fundamentals that we talk about. But um, you're doing amazing stuff. I'll give a shout out to my great mate Blackie, um, with his with his academy down there. So jump on board the Simon Black Academy if if you're sort of um you know looking to get a bit of an education and also um, some footy um coaching um weekly uh, or sorry. Daily, isn't it, Mick? Three, three four yeah, days a week.
2: Yeah. So, academies in Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, um, and Brisbane, and yeah, Monday to Thursday, and you get a diploma in sports management on the other end of it, and and going to a bachelor yeah. program if, if if that, um, if that's the the pathway you want to take. So, it's a, it's a great program, and, and really enjoying doing it uh, on a daily basis.
1: Now, good stuff, mate, and a pleasure to have you on board today. Um, looking forward to seeing how your coaching career goes, and. Um, coaching locally, uh, this year.
2: Yes. Uh, yeah, it seven WRFL. Um, so first year with the whistle on and I'm um, looking to play a few games. Well, play most of the games I would hope touch wood, um, for them as well. So yeah, it's coaching. As I said, one, it wasn't a pathway I thought I was at all interested in, um, until that, I suppose, competitive nature of on-field is taken away. And it's just such a great sport to be involved in that, um, involving yourself with people. And highly motivated people there's nothing more fulfilling and stimulating
0: all right that's uh that brings us to the to the end of the podcast guys um thanks so much for listening uh, to the one on one football podcast Uh, if you got something out of today's episode we'd love to have you uh, leave a review for us on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Um, and if you want to stay updated on future episodes special guests and more uh, please feel free to subscribe to the show on your chosen platform Once again, thanks, Mick, for being our our third guest, episode number three. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, Thanks Mick.
2: Thanks, Randy.